The scripture reading this morning from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. If you're using one of the blue Bibles in the chairs, it's on page 1119. Isaiah 40, 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up to a, on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and be not afraid. <clears throat> Say to the, city, the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The word of the Lord. Well, as people of hope, people who proclaim hope and particularly look to the quality of hope as one of the core aspects of our Advent experience, we need to be consistently reminded of where that hope comes from. And in the midst of a culture that is pervaded by failed political promises, corruption of power, the sort of blur of social media and just, you know, commercialism, we need to make sure where our hope is rooted where it should be. One of my friends was wrestling with this reality and where hope comes from and was thinking about just the commercialization of Christmas and was talking about the fact that it used to be like Thanksgiving would kind of hold back Christmas commercially. Like we'd get ready for Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving would come Christmas. Well, then Thanksgiving sort of got run over by Christmas and it was kind of like Halloween sort of held back the start of the commercialization of Christmas. And now, if you're aware, the, the, the Christmas stuff is being put up right as the Halloween stuff is being taken down. It's almost simultaneously. The commercialization of Christmas is almost like this spreading wave over us. 
But the hope we have in Christmas hasn't changed. And it's rooted in the prophetic word. And I think as a culture, we've lost the power and importance of the prophetic word, where the prophecies of Scripture come to fulfillment and they give us hope that what God says will occur in the future. That if what he said would happen in ministering to his people and in giving them hope and the people of Israel, and if that happened in the coming of Jesus, then we can trust God in the here and now and place our hope in him, even in those times of darkness and doubt and difficulty. For Isaiah and his promises, part of those promises came in the context of the Israelite exile to Babylon. And if there was ever a time where the people of God felt felt the darkness, it was almost this pervasive darkness, it was during the exile. They felt like God had forgotten them. Jerusalem had been overrun, the temple had been destroyed, the vast majority of people had been dragged off into captivity in Babylon. And there was a desert of sort of desperation and difference between where they were in Babylon and their homeland that was the center of their hopes in Jerusalem, in Judea. In the midst of that sort of break and that sense of conflict and difficulty for the people of God and their, the darkness they were feeling, Isaiah speaks of message of hope, that in the midst of darkness, there can be forgiveness of sin. And in the desert of distance between Babylon and their homeland, there was hope that God would bring a return. And not just a physical return of the people out of captivity and back to their homeland, but even more importantly, a spiritual return. And that God was always shining his light into the darkness of their circumstances. Tim Keller, in his book, The Hidden Christmas, says, the emphasis on light and darkness comes from the Christian belief that the world's hope comes from outside of it. Hope isn't something we drum up in and of ourselves. It's hope that comes outside of us from God. The giving of gifts, then, is a natural response to Jesus' stupendous act of self-giving, when he laid aside his glory and was born into the human race. We give gifts and we hold out hope to people as a gift because God held out his love for us in Jesus. In this passage, the prophet responds to the command of God to bring a message of comfort and hope to his people. And that comfort is that their identity still remains And their belonging to God is still true even in the midst of their exile and seeming rejection. That ultimately, God would send his son and come to restore that belonging and reconcile us to God. So you see, Jesus' adventure down from heaven to earth becomes the source of our hope on our adventure. That we are not alone as we travel. And that there is hope that is real and true and tangible because of what Jesus has done. God's emphasis through the message of the prophet Isaiah is that he would send one who would become a source of vicarious suffering. He would suffer on behalf of the people in order to rescue them and redeem their suffering and restore them into relationship with God. And that one comes. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Jesus himself comes to us and, and, if we, and gives ourselves wholly to us, gives himself to us. He, he pours out his love 
And as a result of his coming and result of his revelation, we find that we are ultimately not our own. We belong to God. And that belonging is rooted in him. Christmas, like God himself then, is both more wondrous and ultimately more threatening in a way than we can imagine because of what Jesus has come to do. You see, his mission is to reconcile God and sinners. We have separated ourselves from him in our sin. So to understand Christmas, we need to understand the hope of the gospel is recognizing the darkness that we're in as a result of our sin, but that that darkness can be transcended by the light of Christ again. That's why Isaiah says in chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And John says about Jesus that he was the true light that gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. You see, the good news of the prophetic word of Isaiah and of the prophets in general is that there is more going on than appears and that things are not as they seem nor as they always will be. Isn't that good news right now? We need to know that our present reality isn't all there is, that God is doing more than we realize, and that things will not always be as they currently are. What Isaiah shows us is that things, in a way, really are this bad, and that we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark at his time, and I think in ours. Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christmas message is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There is a light outside of this world, and Jesus has brought that light in his coming and in his revelation so that we could see God for who he really is in the midst of our present disorientation. The prophet sees a climactic hour when God would reveal himself and arrive on the human scene, uh, establishing his presence and a work that is different from anything else that has preceded it. It almost gives the sense of a, a, a final culminating work. But it's not the end of history he's speaking to, but spiritually inaugurating a new day that would come with Christ's revelation. That God, the creator, sustainer of the universe, would come and work in history in a profound and direct way through his gracious forgiveness of the sinfulness of his people. You see, we can follow the flow of this passage by looking at first at the fact that our hope is found in God's work redemptively in the events of history, that hope is ultimately found through recognizing our own frailty and sinfulness because that's what opens us up to the greater hope, And that we then, when we understand that hope in Christ that we have in him, have a mission to proclaim that hope to the nations. You see, God doesn't want to just impart us to us hope and comfort. He wants us to become conduits of comfort for other people. So on the adventure that we experience here at Advent, we find how God relates to his people. And the first cry is this, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service is over and that her sin has been paid for. Here, God fills the center stage. 
God is the one calling out for comfort to be given to his people. And it's almost like this, you know, God calls and the angels sort of respond. Comfort my people. And the angels are crying out, comfort, comfort, okay. Let's go comfort them. Let's go show them that there's hope in Jesus. And then we see that when the angels appear to Mary and Joseph and shepherds and, 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 and just reveal God as the source of comfort. But there's this cry out in heaven first that takes place before that comfort is revealed on earth. It's an angelic message that has its rootedness in God's proclamation. And a reminder here is that we need to always be rooted in God first. When we come with our own sinful condition, we're struggling with where the hope is and whether we feel hopeful today or not this morning, how you got up, what you were feeling as you ate breakfast. What we're reminded of here is that our hope is about God. And the more we root ourselves in God and in his good news and respond to that good news, the more we are revolutionized and transformed in our thinking. But we need to know that that hope comes from God. And it is an announcement that ultimately God forgives That there will be a time when harsh discipline, it says, is over and God has forgiven. That the sin which has separated us from God has been overcome. And that for dejected uh, exiles, like in Isaiah's day, there will be ultimate revival and restoration. But that first restoration is recognized in coming in its source in God and the reestablishment of our connection and our association with him. It's God who leads us back by saying that your sins are forgiven you. God's redemptive advents take place in history. God continues to come and again and again to help bring restoration and salvation to his people, bringing design back out in the midst of disorder. So God comes on the scene and does that again and again, revealing himself. He does that to you know, Abraham and Isaac and Joseph initially. He does that to Moses, calling Moses to go save the Israelites out of Egypt. He does that through the prophets and people he sends again and again to bring restoration. God shows himself to be a redeeming and rescuing God. He's a God who comes to bring comfort again and again. And we need that in each and every age because we are people that can lose hope. And when people lose hope, they lose their ability to dream for the future They can despair, and that can replace our joy. Fear can replace faith. Anxiety can replace prayer. Insecurity can replace confidence. Tomorrow's dreams are replaced by nightmares, and that's a terrible way to live. The truth is, the greatest gift that you can receive or give to anyone is to maintain a sense of hope, but make sure that that hope is rooted in God and not in your circumstances which change all the time. Paul knew that and hope, and he talked about it in Romans 15, 13. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all peace as you trust in him, so that you, you're, so that you may overflow with the hope that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that pours out hope into our lives, continues to give us restoration and encouragement and consolation. 
Consolation isn't a word that we use a lot in our society today, but we need consolation. We need to be consoled through God's comfort and have a restoration of hope as a result. So the profound words at the beginning of the passage, comfort, comfort my people, is a reflection of God's great design to help us and encourage us and to give us hope. One of my favorite passages along these lines is 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We are to be conduits of comfort. If you've had an experience of grief or loss, if you've had a struggle with an addictive behavior, if you have faced various challenges such as job loss or or divorce or difficult relationships, those challenging circumstances can actually be the avenues through which God works through your life and into the lives of others. Recently, there have been a a few different Uh, losses, deaths that have occurred in the congregation or in the community. We have a large community memorial service that we're having afterwards today for a guy who passed away at the age of 48. And there are circumstances and situations that occur that I don't understand immediately why God would allow that to happen or what is going on on the surface of things. But I do know is that there are people who have hope in Jesus who can come alongside those who face grief and loss. For those of us who, for instance, have experienced the death of a child, we might minister to somebody who goes through that unique loss. For those who have experienced the death of a spouse, they might minister uniquely to somebody who goes through that life-altering loss. For those who have experienced the loss of a job, they may be able to come alongside somebody and and give them hope and encouragement that that God is going to provide and that there's going to be opportunities again in the future. The struggles that we've had, much like the people of Israel, can become part of the proclamation of how and where we have found hope. But it starts, we are told, with God speaking tenderly to Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's God consoling first. It's God holding his people in a way and just speaking kind words. And then it becomes proclamation And we need to experience that holding and that comforting and those kind words first. And when we experience God's kindness and mercy and comfort, then eventually we can become people of proclamation that share again the good news that our hard service is over. The depth of the difficulty that we were experiencing has been overcome. And ultimately that our sin has been paid for. The greatest comfort that we can experience is the comfort that God offers in saying that our sin has been paid in full, that there's nothing more we need to do to try to earn God's favor or drum up hope, that our hope is rooted in what Jesus has already done, that Isaiah says centuries before Jesus would come and do on God's behalf. The adventure continues as we prepare the way then for the Messiah. The adventure is about Jesus coming to this earth and God taking the initiative in his work on our behalf. But the adventure continues as we sort of clear away the clutter and prepare the way for the Lord. It says, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. 
Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will become level and the rugged places made plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Again, it's angelic voices calling back and forth to one another. Prepare the way. Prepare the way for Jesus' coming. And we know that in the Gospels, that preparation work was often attributed to John the Baptist, who came in in the desert, proclaimed a movement of repentance and restoration towards God, that the people needed to repent and come clean of their sins. And if they did, they would open up the way for the Messiah then to speak in and ultimately transform their lives. But again, the gospel has to be bad news before it can be good news. And the bad news of the gospel is the recognition of our sin. And if we don't recognize our sin and separation from God, we can't experience the fullness of the good news. It won't touch our hearts to the depths of what we need it to. If we think we're pretty good people and we just need a little help from God, we're going to miss out on the fullness of what the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us we are actually people that are utterly broken and separated from God and without hope, without his revelation in Jesus and Jesus' work on our behalf. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Jesus. Our culture would tell you to hope in yourself, that you can pull yourself together, and there, there will be better days ahead, and that we just need to kind of prepare ourselves for that. But the passage doesn't say prepare yourself. The passage says prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. Open yourself up to his work on your behalf. Don't think you can do it yourself without him. This is about clearing obstacles out of the road. This is about making a way for space so that God can come in. Our Thanksgiving plans, like yours, took several detours this year. Uh, We were anticipating uh, being out of town like the day after Thanksgiving and headed down to Fresno to watch Josh run in the the state championship cross-country meet. Uh, As some of you know, he missed qualifying by two-tenths of a second a couple weeks ago. Guy just happened to lean ahead of him and, you know, so, okay, we're not going to Fresno. Uh, early at least, to get ready for this race. Well, maybe we can go to Chico and celebrate Thanksgiving in Chico. Well, everybody was sick in Chico. It's amazing that we're on another COVID stream, streak, whatever you want to call it, it seems, and just a lot of people have been ill. So pretty soon we realized, okay, we're not going to Chico for Thanksgiving. So then all of a sudden it was, well, do we want to host? (laughs) Investors, yeah, we can do it. So all of a sudden, it came the week of 14 people that we were hosting in our house. So what happened? Preparation. Getting the boys involved in cleaning up Legos and getting the house back in order. It had been totally disrupted. There became a preparation process to clear the way so that there can be relationship and connection that could occur on Thanksgiving with our family. And similarly... The prophet's saying, you need to prepare the way. You need to clear out the clutter. You need to make space because the one who is the real source of hope is coming. But unless you clear the way, unless you prepare your heart and and clear the clutter of sin in your life, you're going to miss out on the full gift that he wants to and can bring. 
The preparation process that John brings in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy clears the way for Christ's coming and his revelation. And the passage talks about leveling the playing field, so to speak, of hills and valleys and evening things out so that the the Messiah can smoothly come so that there is a highway, no lights stopping the progress, uh, but a highway leading to the hope that we have in Jesus and that the glory of God would be revealed. Glory, as we saw in John's gospel, is a big deal. It's God's light, the revelation, the light of his presence shining upon his people in the midst of their darkness. Perhaps other than scripture, the best writer that got attuned with this was J.R.R. Tolkien. Because the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings are filled with the images of darkness and, and the need for light. And again and again, as I'm reading these to Levi again and through the movies, you see these places and spaces of darkness where it looks like the good guys, quote unquote, are without hope. But then in the midst of that darkness, a light shines and the darkness is overcome and it's ultimately defeated. We heard words similar in John 1, 4 through 5, early this fall. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood or overcome it. Friends, our hope is in what God is doing in his work in shining the light in our darkness. And if we missed it, Isaiah says again that it talks about the adventure of how God comes into our condition. He says, all men are like grass that withers and falls, and, but the word of God stands forever. Again, he's basically saying, don't put your hope in your human condition that you can solve this yourselves or you can just kind of pull yourself up out of a place where you're not with hope. If you're in a place of discouragement, don't just say, you know, okay, I just need to hope more. Or don't give in to the discouragement. You actually need hope that comes from outside of you to speak into your condition. And what Isaiah says is that hope comes from the word of God. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of God stands forever. It's the prevailing nature of God's word and the prophetic word that speaks into our current condition with an ultimate hope that becomes our source of restoration. It's not our words saying, hey, cheer up. It's not our words that just like, you know, speaking comfort, like we can just solve whatever is causing somebody hurt or hardship. It's about saying that God's word will stand and that our source of hope in the midst of what fades and falls is the prevailing nature of God's word that will ultimately accomplish his purposes. We can trust God's word because what he said in Isaiah's day came true in Jesus' day as we will look at this entire Advent season. And if what God said in Isaiah's day, took place in Jesus' day. What God says in his word will take place. We have an ultimate hope. Our present circumstances, again, are not all there is, and they are not the end of the story. Praise God. The the passage continues, and the adventure here culminates with it saying how the word of God comes and transforms our condition. God's word here in the passage is, bring good tidings to Zion and Jerusalem on the mountain. Lift up your voice. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Jesus was going to be present. 
The sovereign Lord comes in power. He doesn't stand back and just watch. He comes into our condition in the person of his son. It says, see how his reward and recompense comes with him. Through Jesus' coming, he's going to be rewarded with our salvation and worshipers, people drawn to honor and declare his praises. And his longing then, we are told, is like a shepherd who tends his flock. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. God is a God who wants to wrap us up in his loving arms and his loving embrace and hold us through whatever we're going through and to not let us go. And friends, that's where our hope is found. Our hope is found in God's sovereignty and control, not in our brokenness and our frailty, but in the prevailing nature of his word. And his word says he wants to comfort you. He wants to hold you. He wants to hold you up in the midst of what you're going through right now. And that hope can be found in him. Tim Keller in Hidden Christmas says, There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths of the gift of Jesus Christ and what it requires us to do. Christmas, he says, means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means that you are not somebody who can pull yourself together like and live a moral and good life. To accept the Christmas gift, we have to admit that we are sinners in need of saving and to say yes to the salvation that Jesus brings. My hope for you is that in this, the approaching weeks of Advent, you might find and experience an increase in hope, that you might focus your mind and your heart on Christ, that you can ask God to prepare your heart for the coming of Jesus. But it doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't happen by buying into our cultural view of hope. It comes through accepting Christ and rooting our hope in Him. That hope is what truly stands. Amen.